Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello, my name is John Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. I'm here today with Carlos Moreno, manager of the Premier Mighton European Opportunities Fund. Carlos, thank you so much for joining me today. Nice to meet you. Well, Carlos, the fund's been down 22% last year, and that was a bit more severe than the 7% drop for, for your benchmark, which is the FTSE World Europe X UK index. Could you explain to me what caused that underperformance? Yeah, I mean, we've been well, if I put that performance drop in context, um, I mean, we've launched the fund at the end of 2015, and we're the second best performing fund in our over a hundred peer group since launch. So I think we've delivered very good returns from launch, but last year was a down year. We don't run the fund to kind of outperform in all periods. We kind of buy companies based on our style and process, which we think will perform for the long term. So some volatility is to be expected. Yeah. Uh, I would say the main drivers of last year's underperformance was our style, um, it didn't really work last year. Um, I think the fact that we have quite a substantial cap bias as opposed to being overweight, the largest companies, I think mm. very much count against us. Um, I think a kind of more growthy style versus a more value style. The spread of valuations, if you like, in the stock market narrowed. That counted against us. Although, I, you know, and as I, I think we didn't, sometimes you can underperform and you look, you underperform for very specific reasons. Um, you know, I own this stock, it went horribly wrong, um, whatever. Or I went, it went horribly right and you different. I think our performance was kind of in the pack for similar, for funds that are run on a similar process. You can drill down into that that style bias. Obviously, you have favoured sure. growth, growth stocks over sort of higher dividend pairs, sort of value plays. Is that a strategy that's going to continue for the rest of the year or are you shifting yeah. somewhat? No, no, we're very stylized. Uh, we basically look for companies that have a high return on capital or will have a high return on capital um, in short order and then can exploit that high return on capital to reinvest in themselves to really grow their earnings into the long term. Fundamentally, stocks follow their earnings. So if you want to own companies that outperform over the medium term, we have quite a low churn in names. We change about uh, a fifth of the fifth to sixth of the portfolio each year. So we tend to invest the long term we're not traders as such um you know you need to own companies that have superior earnings growth and we try to find those companies buy them and hold on um so um yeah that's our approach and that that won't that won't change the trouble with i always think with companies that pay high dividends i mean there's no point in over investing so there's no point you know if the if you uh, if you don't have anything worthwhile to spend money on then don't, don't spend the money pay it out that's a really sensible strategy but I think the trouble with companies that just pay out dividends, um, I mean, obviously, if you're very asset light, you can basically grow and pay a dividend at the same time. But the trouble with companies that just pay out a dividend, they don't, as a whole, you could say, they don't have the reinvestment opportunities. And that means their earnings growth will be pretty modest over the medium term. And I, I think the danger with that group as a whole is, yeah, they can go through periods where you go, yeah, I really fancy those dividends, let's buy them. But they're not going to outperform um, the peer group over time. So... 
I think if you think about, in a, put it in a really big picture sense, if you think about every decade, there's a few new companies appear, big companies we all talk about that didn't really exist in the previous decade. So if you think about, I don't know, I was thinking of the American examples really, like, you know, the tech giants like uh, you know, Google or, um, you know, Amazon, but you could have like LVMH in Europe. I mean, you know, these companies, they haven't come around because they've been re-rated or people have gone, I want to buy companies that have got big dividends. <laughs> they've done very well because they've just become much, much larger companies than they were 10 or 15 years ago because there's been an opportunity somewhere and they've seized it. And what we look for are companies that can do that. Sort of following on from that, I wanted to look at valuations of the portfolios sitting at a PE ratio average of about over just just over 25 times. And that's a bit a bit higher than the sector average of 14 and a half times. I, I mean, that's kind of falls into your growth bias in a sense. But looking at maybe from a, a macro lens, what's going to be the impact if, if there is a bit more severe inflation in Europe this year? Well, as I say, we, we have come into the high return on capital. And I, I think, you know, a quality company, high return on capital, barriers to competition. If anything, they've got pricing power. The trouble with companies that don't have pricing power is inflation will would swamp you. Um, and I think our company is doing a pretty good job at dealing with uh, inflation. Yeah, I, I wanted to hark back to, to last year. Which which areas, um, and maybe you could talk about a couple of stocks that, that weighed heaviest on the portfolio. Well, I, I mean, I'll give you an area that didn't do well for us because we didn't own it. Would be say oil and gas. Yeah. So, um, I mean, firstly, I think one of the greatest challenges investment themes and challenges for humanity will be, you know, by 2050, there's going to be 11 billion people on the planet. How do we all get to live on the planet with a reasonable standard of living? They can say that's the ultimate investment theme. But um, I don't like large cap oil companies. I don't like small cap oil companies. I think large cap companies are basically cost of capital businesses that the governments are very good at kind of any excess profits that are ultimately grabbed by the government. Mm. Um, small caps are a little more than gambling. Do they have a license? Is there something there or not? I don't think it's a, a great area to invest in. So we don't invest in that area at all. But it, for geopolitical reasons what happened to the oil price it last year was a very good year to own oil and gas companies every few years i suppose there'll be a year when when that's the case but um i actually think you know the wind turbine companies for example are very interesting uh you know i to invest with the future that's kind of my style you know what what is the next big company and i like to think out a long way and i like to try to think about the themes and trends and think, identify companies that I think are going to be a lot bigger tomorrow than they are today. That the kind of companies we're going to be talking about tomorrow. So, so at the core of your underperformance uh, in comparison to other European indices, it's basically not holding oil that hit you there. Uh, no, I, as I said, there were style factors, they were uh, size factors. Um, I think almost last year was a little bit of a kind of perfect storm for us. Um, I mean, by the fourth quarter, our performance was much better. Um, so I think we're kind of through that period. But as I say, I don't we kind of run the fund to give long term returns and our long term returns are very good. So I don't we don't go about trying to like minimize kind of deviations in the short term, if you see what I mean. I know that sounds slightly apologetic, but it's just the way we run money. Uh, uh, it's very much focused on that medium to long term, uh, you know, generating superior returns. Um, I appreciate you said you have pretty low churn in the fund, but did you drop any holdings during the year? 
Yeah, I mean, we changed our usual rate. So um, uh, we changed uh, nine names last year out of 51, I think we started the year with. And and more specifically, which which names were they? Uh, well, we uh, HomeServe was a, a company we've owned since launch. Uh, that's a UK name, which is a bit of an unusual, but that was taken over. So was Eco Online. So it was actually the standard mix, really, of companies where you change your mind on, which is pretty normal. Um, takeovers, companies that reach your kind of the IRR isn't there because the shares have done well. So um, um, we sell names. It was a whole mix, really. European equities have actually had a you know pretty strong couple of months in comparison to the US, um, which has been quite unusual for the past couple of years. Um, do you see that continuing, um, or, or is the sort of the rally ended now? I mean, I'm a I'm a bottom up guy, so I'm very much people and products by company name. So macro, even markets, it's kind of a bit above my pay grade. Um, what I would say is that the American market is much more expensive. Um, it's been driven by a sort of small collection of very large, very successful technology companies, which are all a number of them are starting to have issues. Think of what's happened to Facebook. That's more specific to the American market, whereas, say, Europe's very big in luxury goods, which continues to do quite well. Um, and I always think another thing that people don't appreciate is the amount of loss making companies in the uh, the makeup of the American indexes. And loss makers are very dangerous into like rates rising and, you know, because obviously their profits are in the far, far future. And that's just having a high percentage of names in your index, which are loss making, I think, uh, is a sign of the top. And um, and then you've got kind of dollar weakness now, maybe, you know, we've reached peak dollar. Um, I, I don't know, I, I, you know. This is kind of a little bit above my playground. I've never been really, really down on Europe because I think we're very good at certain things. I touched on luxury. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's a big, broad market. Well, I, maybe, I maybe, maybe we could drill down a bit on, on luxury yeah, goods. Sure. Um, that's something that, you, you know, if there's a, a bit of a cost of living crisis, um, people have less money to play around with. That's something that, that, you know, discretionary spending there could be sort of falling off a cliff edge in terms of luxury goods. Are you not concerned I, about that? I think it, it with all luxury, you wouldn't want to own a luxury company that has a lot of more mid-market business. But I think at the very, I mean, as to whether that's fair, but I think people who spend three hundred thousand on a Ferrari, so you know, they are not going to feel the pinch. Ferrari is one of your top holdings. What other what other companies in in the uh, luxury goods sector do you hold? Uh, we. Have- at Ferrari, we own Remy Quantro, uh, which is drinks. Mm. We own uh, Brunello Cuccinelli, which is one of our best performers last year, which is kind of high-end tailoring. Um, you know, we own a number of names. You've got a pretty high allocation to Swiss companies. Um, is there a reason behind that? Do you, do you like Switzerland in particular? Um, I don't tend to think of the portfolio, to be honest, on a kind of country-by-country basis. Normally, when you get to kind of mid-sized and larger companies they're already kind of multi-diverse i think it's much more a factor of bottom up what we own um maybe a little bit in the sense that i think swiss and and german companies they've had a relatively expensive currency for a long period of time they haven't been able to kind of rely on devaluation maybe like the uk um i suppose historically italy um so focused on being in kind of premium niches 
and there's also a lot of family businesses in, in that part of the world. Um, I, I tend to like family companies. Um, they tend to be much more focused on the long term uh, kind of, you know, uh, kind of quarterly numbers, if you like. So it's probably a couple of those factors. So you mentioned luxury goods there. Um, which other sectors are you seeing opportunities in this year? And are there any particular firms that you're eyeing? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, areas I continue to like, I like medical technology as an area. I think Europe's quite good at making machines. And I think it's a very kind of regulated space. So you can really build quite a strong franchise and competition is quite controlled. Um, I still think that Europe has a tremendous potential to like, the benefits of the internet or internetization of business models. You can think of that being a thing in, say, finance. Um, I think Europe's maybe a little bit behind the UK, the US. And I think there's a number of interesting areas there, quite like online classifieds, for example, very cash generative. I mean, they, they pay a dividend, um, but they um, I think they've still got tremendous growth potential as a number of these areas move online. But there are areas I find exciting, um, you know, and I, I like um, I, I think uh, technology technologies is a very interesting space. Um, generally. Obviously, your, your fund has had pretty severe outflows in the past year. I mean, it, we're talking sort of 650 million. Um, the, the fund's one point, you know, the, the fund beats, well, you know, we're, uh, uh, say our market, our size is 2 billion. Yeah. I don't think we've had severe outflows. We've had some outflows. Notable. I mean, one, one of the largest European funds in the IA sector in terms of outflows. Yeah, but we were, like, we were one of the largest funds. There was a percentage of the fund size. I don't think it's, and you'd expect that. Some people expect very hot, uh, you know, the moment you're not hot, they want to buy something else. I've been mean, fair enough, but yeah. we can go with what we're doing and we can manage the outflows. Uh, you know, obviously one of the things you've got to do as a fund manager is think about your liquidity. Yes. Uh, and um, it's a, it's one of the reasons why you don't want to own too many very small companies because not only are they kind of binary as to whether they work or not, but you know it's much more difficult to manage the liquidity down there. Yeah. So is is that one of the the points that prevents you from looking at small caps, even if you think there might be some opportunities there, the liquidity issue? It is one of the issues. Um, I mean, there are some small cap companies that are very interesting. You just have to buy, you know, a, a proportion. You know, you have to make sure that you um, you buy a position size that is appropriate. You know, you can't buy a small cap and make it the largest cap position in your fund. You know, the big the big positions in your fund have to be multi billion cap companies that give you. You know, you're a very small percentage of the um you know the free float carlos thanks so much for joining me today no problem scottish mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators that way we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real world progress not financial world noise scottish mortgage is managed by bailey gifford a key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.